0: everyone, this week I have Sam Mickey from the Theology and Religious Studies Department from the University of San Francisco to discuss his work and involvement with the Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology for you all. Sam, like Matt Siegel, is a graduate from the California Institute of Integral Studies with a specialized focus in integral ecology and environmental ethics through their Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program. Following my discussion with Chris Sator on German idealism through the work of Jason Wirth and Sean McGrath, along with its connection to various thinkers in the environmental movement, I thought it'd be fun to have Sam on to discuss his work on the variety of individual ecologies, cosmopolitics, and the Catholic left. I hope you're all doing well, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts and reflections on this one. Cheers! off the conversation with uh, matt siegel um i'd be curious to know actually if you know because of your work and the associations that you've had through cis if you know gregory Baum up f- from montreal actually
1: oh no okay not familiar okay
0: well he's a catholic theologian he's a pretty big catholic theologian uh and i was curious to know because he's had um i guess some back and forth with thomas barry over the years and uh well maybe thomas um uh, swim might actually know him possibly
1: I'm not too sure i yeah i would imagine i know uh yeah brian swim definitely knows most of the people who are in deep conversation with thomas barry's work and so yeah it sounds like a close connection yeah i'll have to check well, it out
0: well like i was saying i mean because ciis and thomas barry has had massive impact on a lot of people up in montreal so uh, I'd like to just reintegrate again. This is, I mean, this huge honor for me to, to sit down with somebody that has studied his work so thoroughly and, and moved his, his work forward in so many unbelievable ways as well. And the, the network that you've maintained throughout all of your work. I mean, it's, it's a real honor for me to, to connect with you. Um, and your book in terms of the varieties of integral ecologies, I know it was in the solo product. <laughs> Uh, it was a collaborative effort, uh, but the the book has had a tremendous impact on me and uh, well i 'm hoping to dive into that a bit more um, but before getting into that i 'd like to know a bit more i guess in terms of your background because you did your b a and your m a in Texas, if I understand correctly right
1: that 's right yeah okay and uh, yeah, because I grew up in Texas, so it was kind of by happenstance that I uh, landed there for college and okay. um I was at the University of North Texas, which is in a little town called Denton, uh, kind of the suburb of Dallas, and they happened to have a philosophy department that focused on environmental ethics. And uh, I was into philosophy. I kind of grew up being interested in philosophy and theology and uh, wanted to major in it. And then they were all like, environmental ethics, environmental ethics. I was like, that sounds terribly boring. And uh, once you study it a little, I was like, oh, this is one of the most radical perspectives out there uh, that's really questioning the foundations of our civilization yeah uh and uh, and opening up beyond just western perspectives because the environment's everywhere so there was you know asian philosophy people were working with comparative philosophy and uh yeah really fell in love with it and then but but my master's degree actually kind of departed from that um and i was studying linguistics and anthropology just because i met professors who were doing that work uh there was a kind of Heideggerian ethnomusicologist uh studying trance in Africa. Um so how you know how African uh religious rituals often involve uh trance and the way drums facilitate trance experiences. And so I was just like that sounds amazing. And I don't know much about African religion. That's kind of a gap in my uh in my knowledge. So I wanted to study with him. And uh and then Haj Ross in linguistics uh i was just enamored with his work he was a close collaborator with george Lakoff, and uh just loved his perspective on language and poetics and so yeah stuck around there for the master's degree to try and just broaden out and uh and then you know one thing leads to another and i'm like is there a way to integrate all these different fields of study anthropology linguistics sociology ethnomusicology philosophy religious studies and so integral studies uh, yep. made sense. And so that's when I ended up out at uh California Institute of Integral Studies back in, oh, geez, 2005, I guess. Uh, so different world then Yeah, the rent, the rents in San Francisco were a little more affordable. Things, <laughs> it's not, not the same as it is now. And that was before, uh, the philosophy cosmology and consciousness program had any online offerings. It was a very different world. And, uh, was lucky to study with like Ralph Metzner while he was there. Uh, that was just a couple of years before he retired. And so very interested in, you know, kind of like psychedelic research. Um, and the East West psychology program, I found very interesting and, uh, and then stumbled across, uh, Mary Evelyn Tucker and John, uh, John Grimm who are, uh, you know, students of Thomas Berry along with Brian swim. And they were offering a class and just like a one-off, and i happened to be there when they offered it and wow. totally fell in love with their work and then they connected me with brian and uh then the rest is is really history and so since then i've really been involved with the field of religion and ecology and deeper into environmental philosophy and certainly very grounded in the, the thomas Berry brian Swim kind of perspective on the universe
0: Wow. Okay. But the the department in terms of environmental ethics you were in, it was in the philosophy department proper or was it an interdisciplinary type of program? What was it? Yeah,
1: it was the uh, philosophy department and it was a philosophy and religion department. Uh, They didn't separate those because years before they kind of had a problem because it's it's texas and so they had a religious studies department that was basically teaching kind of like fundamentalist christianity and so the philosophy department was like we can't let this happen so the philosophy department like swallowed the religion department to kind of clean it up and make it a legitimate uh field of study uh so yeah philosophy religion and the environment i never really could separate those because that's just how i was taught if you do one you have to do the other yeah Okay. No, because my formal background
0: in education is actually in religious studies up at Concordia, up in university, uh, in Montreal. So, and it does, I mean, it has a much more of a sociology, well, sociology, anthropology bent to it. Uh, But what drew me in was really the uh, psychology of religion that Mm -hmm. really drew me in there and stuff like that. But just the fact that it's so interdisciplinary in nature, religious studies. Uh, they're so open to so many different methodologies. So that's where I just felt more at home. So that's where I I spent most of my time and accumulating my credits. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, but what, so what made you, I guess, attracted to CIS? I mean, the jump from Texas to to California (laughs) and CIS is a bit of a jump.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I remember when I first moved out uh, to California, And I would have to show people my ID for a variety of things. It was my Texas driver's license. They'd like, look at me suspiciously. (laughs) "Mm, What are you doing here? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, I mean, a big draw was uh, the presence of folks like uh, Ralph Metzner, right, who was a student of Timothy Leary and um, uh, Stanislav Groff. And so very interested in psychedelic studies. And, you know, Ralph Metzner also did a lot of work with eco psychology. So I kind of was interested in this possibility of thinking about how can uh, psychedelic experiences facilitate ecological awareness. Gotcha. Okay. That cool. was kind of the idea. And, and very quickly put that aside. It's kind of like when you meet so many other people working with psychedelic studies, you are like, oh, okay, you guys have that. Yeah. And, and I got very interested in this, this broader question of how can uh, religions more generally facilitate ecological awareness and the kind of ecological transformation we need if we're going to have like a habitable planet in the future Um, so the broader question of religion ecology opened up and then of course but you can't really think religion without thinking it interdisciplinarily like you're saying and so uh the idea of integral ecology uh started to uh started to come up and that was around the time that the philosophy cosmology and consciousness program program was in uh, was kind of launching an integral ecology track Okay. And so I was part of some people kind of sitting around a table trying to figure out what this track would be about. And so we started to develop the idea of integral ecology, and which basically just means a holistic interdisciplinary approach to ecology, like in a nutshell. Um, so that became the focus of my work. But yeah, initially, it was kind of the psychedelics and ecology thing that that actually brought me out. And, wow. you, and where else are you going to do that than San Francisco? <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I mean, because just reading your work, I didn't see the, well, I mean, I guess it makes sense now that you say that, but the, the psychedelic, I mean, I didn't pick up any real psychedelic type stuff in, in yeah. your, your
1: writing. You try it's, to hide like, it like... as much as possible, <laughs> <laughs> especially I mean, coming from Texas, that wasn't so accepted. Like, uh, So, yeah, I try to be pretty esoteric about that for the most part. But yeah, okay. once you know it, if you look, then there's, there's hints throughout that that kind of stuff is there. But yeah, for the most part you know uh, working with like the Yale forum on religion and ecology and things yeah. like that. I teach at a Jesuit university, university of San Francisco. So I try, you know, keep all that stuff a little, a little quiet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it totally makes sense as
0: well. I mean, uh, that's an interesting tangent even within, I guess, the environmental movement itself to go and unpack the psychedelic stuff yeah. through that kind of is, a lens. Yeah.
1: It's very, it's a lot more pervasive than people think kind of scratch Uh, the surface of any number of big environmental thinkers and something like psychedelic experiences are showing up or, you know, wilderness experiences, which are very similar in a way. Yeah. Beautiful. No, for sure. Yeah.
0: Okay. And I mean, did you cross Sean Hargens as well? Well, he was Ah, completing. So he was there when you
1: showed up. He was just finishing up when I got there. Okay. And, uh, and then when we were developing the idea of integral ecology, we had a couple events and he was very kind enough to come and, give a talk for us and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, interacted with him a handful of times. And there was some integral theory conferences that happened uh, back in those days as well. Like yeah, mid 2008, 2009. And uh, so yeah, I was at those and able to hang out with him there and cool. yeah, great guy. Yeah. Okay. Wow. 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 Okay. So I didn't, because well, I knew
0: Sean and graduated out of there, but I, I didn't realize that you guys had crossed paths. Um, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, he's the one up at sunny now that took your, your manuscript that you developed with uh, with Adam and with Sean Kelly to go out and publish this to uh, the book that we're referring to the varieties of ecologies. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. He has okay. uh, some good contributions to that book and uh, yeah, great, great stuff. His book that he wrote with Michael Zimmerman on integral ecology is just amazing. Even yeah. if you don't like the whole Ken Wilber integral framework and stuff, the way they bring it into ecology in that book is, is really fantastic. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's it blew me away,
0: but, and because but, I'm kind of interested in the history behind that, and I mean the whole reason with my pod as well is is it's given me the opportunity to go out and connect with people that <laughs> I was joking around with somebody the other day that you know we almost sh- shared the the same sort of diet growing up. We all grew up on this diet of particular thinkers and books and stuff like that associated with the Integral movement. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, like we're coming of age and then we're realizing that we're a pretty large cohort out in the culture. Um, and Michael Brooks, who's really the inspiration behind my podcast, he's, he's one of those figures as well. Like he grew up on Ken Wilber and the whole countercultural sort of movement, very much like Jeremy and, uh, and Matt, um, so I was curious about your report there too, as well, in terms of how you kind of fell into that history too. So, um, and did you, did you read Ken Wilber before going at the CIS? Or what's your report with the kind of the integral theory associated with, with Wilber
1: before you landed? Him yeah, there? I hadn't, hadn't heard of him at all, even though I was doing you know, religious studies and philosophy and stuff, but I wasn't for whatever reason that never was on my radar. And okay. so many people uh, similar to him kind of were, but didn't quite. So, and I didn't do enough research, I guess, uh, when I came out because even the word integral, I didn't know that there was capital I integral, right? Wilbur's integral theory, and so. Uh, but once you show up at CIS, people start talking about it. And taking a class like on transpersonal psychology, uh, we were reading some, and uh, and one of the professors at CIS at the time, Jorge Ferrer. Mm. Uh, had a book out, uh, a really good book on revisioning transpersonal psychology. And he gives uh, Wilbur a Wilbur pretty thorough critique in there. So everybody was very critical of Wilbur, especially for the way he was kind of, I don't know, turning integral into just one guy's vision yeah. instead of really opening up multiple possibilities for it. And, uh, so yeah, people were generally pretty critical, but at the same time, I, uh, I also just found it useful. It's handy. Yep. A lot of Wilbur, if you're trying to you know, put together a lot of different things, uh, his map is helpful. And if you understand the map is just a map uh, and don't get too hung up on it, <laughs> then yeah, uh, it's pretty useful. Alan Combs was at CIS at the time and I took a whole class on uh, just called like Ken Wilbur. Okay. And uh, so we kind of really went through it, you know, the whole stages of Wilbur, okay. Wilbur 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and all that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I found it very useful and uh at the same time i I see why people get get kind of mad at it uh but but for me there's not a not too big of a stake in it uh the meaning of the word integral and everything especially you know for catholicism integral is its own thing as well yeah Catholic social teaching has the idea of integral human development Pope Francis talks about integral ecology So yeah, I'm like, it's fine. It's just a, it's just an adjective. People (laughs) people can relax.
0: No, for sure. And I mean, that's the funny thing too, because I'd, uh, well, kind of like Michael Brooks as well. And some other people, like I'd, like Wilbur was around the house, uh, you know, when I was growing up. So I, you know, just dove into it and uh, my dad was a big Wilbur fan. so We were able to go and, you know, bat it back and forth. So I, when I landed up at Concordia, and I was like, well, you know, you guys need to know about this Ken Wilber guy. And people were like, who the hell is that? <laughs> Nobody, they they just, you know, they didn't take it seriously at all in terms of who he was because, well, one, it, it wasn't an academic press. So I got pressed mm-hmm. or got put through the ringer, I guess, once I landed up at university uh, and was really forced to go and start to unpack it in a different way and start to see like oh wait a minute you know philosophy is much larger than this one guy you need to go and be much more critically minded in terms of how you go and approach it but I mean even after the fact talking to Jeremy and even with Matt recently I mean I'm, I'm I, I owe just a huge amount of, of uh, I'm, I just have a huge amount of gratitude for all the writing that he's done and the work that he's done you know and uh, I think there are some valid critiques as well um, but Interestingly, I mean, you're, I mean, CIAS has played an interesting role in that. There has been this important sort of back and forth between him and humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology that's kept a healthy uh, distance yet critical you know like the the battles that were kind of hashed out over the years from the 60s all the way up till till now are fruitful uh debates that have been had and very fruitful things have come out like you said i mean the 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 wilbur comb lattice is essentially like popped out of cis and and that dialogue with wilbur in a certain way
1: yeah no that's that's true and uh i know in particular I think the nineties was the nineties and the early two thousands was when Wilbur and CIS were really kind of yelling at each other. And then everybody, there was kind of a settlement after that and everybody's <laughs> moved on peacefully. Uh, but there was a minute where it was like, Ooh, geez. And especially, you know, you know, Wilbur as, you know, coming from the kind of spiritual background that he does, he's not afraid to really get into it in terms of being very bombastic with his rhetoric and so some of the things said about some of the professors at CIS, it was, it was getting a little insulting and it's like, all right, everybody needs to calm down, but seems like yeah. very territorial. And ultimately I think we realize there's there's plenty of room for everybody to do this kind of work right now. We have more yeah. in common than we do different.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the fact that, I mean, Sean Hargens graduated from CIS and how close he's been with uh, the integral movement and stuff around the integral Institute or integral life now uh, I mean, he's been, he's had his hands in so many different things as well, and he's done a great job as well to go and try and bring the the discussion into a more critical fashion and dialogue with, you know, not only the alternative colleges and universities like CIIS, but more mainstream academic, uh, academia as well. And uh, this text that you guys put together is rock on. I think that does a great job of doing that as well, bringing that forward. Uh And into the culture, but really unpacking, um, I mean, the the fact that integral or or the possibility of some sort of more integrative philosophy is not just associated with guys like with, you know, Ken Wilber. I mean, there's Sri Aurobindo, there's Gene Gepser, uh, there's Whitehead as well, you know, so that's why I'm so happy to have connected with Jeremy and, uh, you know, and with you now and Matt in terms of the work that you guys have done in terms of graduate students that have really carried the ball forward, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's the next generation really doing it, and, and yeah. uh, I think making uh, integral more accessible, more realizable for people. And yeah. what was kind of a vision for the generation coming out of the nineteen sixties is is really becoming a reality in a lot of ways. Yeah. No, absolutely.
0: And so, but what's your connection with Adam? Because Adam is he's a graduate student now, if I understand. But you guys seem to yes. be like very close buddies.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah, me, Matt, uh Adam. I guess they were um Matt and Adam uh were both uh students, like master's students when I was kind of finishing up coursework in my PhD. Okay. But, you know, it's a pretty tight-knit community, so we're all going to the same parties and stuff. Yeah. And uh so yeah, all all good friends for sure. And uh and Adam's currently working on his dissertation. I think he's almost done. I think he's just got a couple of periods to put in and a comma, but I think it's pretty close to wrapping up. And uh, so, yeah, we were hanging out. And when we do events uh, for the program where we kind of give uh, talks and read papers for each other and stuff, and we were part of a a small part of the community that was really interested in philosophy. Because okay. some people, not so much, they're interested in the universe story. Some people are studying you know, psychedelic studies or astrology or esotericism. And so, looking more at religion or theology, and some of us were like, "Yeah, what about philosophy? Philosophy yeah. proper," and uh, that can seem really heady to some people. And so, some of the more integral people are very heart centered. They're like, "I don't want to get there." And yeah. so, we're like, "Well, we do." And so, yeah. it was easy, easy to make friends with uh, with a small group that was really interested in that kind of stuff and getting deep into what you know rationality is and the Western philosophical tradition coming out of uh, you know ancient Athens and. Like really getting into that. Uh, so yeah, easy, easy friends. And then I don't know how Adam got involved with the book. I think, it, I think we all kind of were hanging out, like me, Adam, and Sean, and we're just like, we should do a book on this. All right, we'll edit it together. Because wow. I don't think any one of us really wanted to do that because it's, it's a, you know, a lot of work. And we're like, oh, we'll all do it together. And uh, I was uh, wrapping up my PhD when we started that. And it took a good chunk of time. Partly because, like, uh, we were working with an editor at SUNY that passed away,
0: and so oh, there was no a way.
1: whole pr- problem of re- relocating, you know, another editor for us. And so, book finally came out in like 2017, but you know, I think it was ready by like 2015. Uh, so yeah, all good friends for sure. I haven't seen Adam or Sean in a couple of years because they're uh, in East Bay here in the Bay Area, and I'm living up in Sonoma, which is just far enough. During yeah. the pandemic and stuff like that so yeah i need to hang out with those guys again soon okay well either way i mean the the, the
0: well to me it's interesting the history behind it
1: and stuff like that uh to to make the connections
0: um and uh, in terms of your own phd i mean you did it essentially on integral ecology essentially if i understand correctly is that what you specialize in
1: or that's what yeah, you? yeah basically Okay. And specifically trying to think about the philosophical foundations of integral ecology, like what are some of the basic concepts that we can use to, to think integral ecology? And uh, so then really looking at, you know, people like Whitehead, uh, seeing what phenomenology can contribute, deconstruction, um, like feminist theology. I was working with Catherine Keller, a great, great feminist theologian, and uh, she was my external reader for the dissertation. And then definitely a lot of the Thomas Berry, Brian Swim stuff was in there. And so trying to just show how it's not, or like what you were saying, people were like, I don't know, this doesn't seem academic, this Wilbur guy. Publishing with Shambhala and stuff like that, they're like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, no, it's definitely legitimate. It's clearly oriented towards some of the basic concepts in philosophy and theology and religious studies. Uh, So yeah, drawing that kind of stuff out. Donna Haraway, Bruno Latour, those kind of folks show up a lot. So, yeah, it's really just trying to look at what are the basic concepts we use. And a lot of it's just like about boundaries in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like the main thing that happens when you're trying to integrate is you're having to deal with difference. Mm -hmm. How do you integrate across differences? And that's always weird. Weird things happen on thresholds. I always think about this anytime I'm standing in a doorway, like I'm in the room, but I'm not in the room. At the same time, <laughs> and it's those like those kind of weird liminal positions. So a lot of it was working with that. So I had the really silly idea of dividing my dissertation into three sections: beginning, middle, and end. And beginnings are about beginnings, middles are about middles, ends are about. End. But there's three different kinds of thresholds.
0: Yeah. No, so just because trying it's to just, understand limits. It's well, I think it's well, it's fantastic because I I can see how much you've not only like you've just chewed on this for so long (laughs) this is what i really draw even from your other books like i i recently uh you know picked up some of the other ones and been starting to make my way through it in terms of how you're really unpacking it in terms of uh uh, the planetary sort of turn and building on uh uh, morin and latour and uh really getting into contemporary sort of uh you know the ecological ethical or the the whole deep ecological sort of of turn and philosophy that's involved in that which uh i was i'm just not that well versed about but i'm just much more getting a bit more nitty-gritty into it and uh when i saw your your interview with uh jason worth and Mm -hmm. how jason worth is connected to sean mcgrath and they have a deep interest as well in terms of environmental ethics i was like my like brain is like, boom, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wow, this is going to be an interesting next couple of years to see, you know, the type of scholars that are swimming in this current right now and unpacking this type of stuff. Uh, So this is super exciting to me. Um, And I mean, just to see that you guys are so young too. And even guys like Sean McGrath, I mean, he's in his fifties now. So he's got a lot of, you know, energy left in that tank, I'm sure before, you know, he's going to start to move out of academia. So I'm super excited about this next stage. Um, and I guess my question is the, the, how did the connection with the Yale forum on uh, religion and ecology eventually pop out of this as well, because that's fantastic connection.
1: Yeah. It's a great organization. And, uh, a lot of it is the, just the the Thomas Berry connection. Uh because Forum on Religious Ecology is founded by Mary Evelyn Tucker and John Grimm, and who are a married couple and they you know studied under Thomas uh decades ago. And uh because of that, they're connected with Brian Swim. And so they showed up at CIS to offer a guest class back in this would have been spring two thousand six. And uh, I knew their name because they're they're very famous. They had done, uh, you know, a whole series of books with Harvard in the 90s on religion and ecology. So like a big volume on Christianity, and ecology, big volume, Islam and ecology, volumes on Hinduism, Taoism, Confucianism. So just, you know, like a 10 book series. And so uh, their names were well known back at the University of North Texas where I came from. So when I saw that they were offering a course at CIS, I was like, yes, of course, I have to (laughs) have to take this class and uh that's when they're like hey we know this brian swim guy i was like oh you know bro, how what <laughs> like, well he worked with thomas barry we're students of thomas barry we all know each other and support each other's work that's why they were out there wow uh, they were out there because they were working uh at the time this would have been about a year uh or two before the book journey of the universe came out that mary evelyn tucker wrote with brian swim okay and so they were out there like working on it and they were like while we're here we'll offer a class and uh i think it was a just mutual admiration thing i was a super nerd about their work, so they were like this kid's pretty sharp <laughs> and i was like well you guys are amazing and so uh immediately that summer they kind of offered me a uh, internship for them just w- updating bibliographies for their website and okay. just doing some kind of research stuff and it kind of built up and they're like hey maybe next summer you can do it again and so, nice. okay. And then eventually I was uh, running their website and their monthly newsletter and that kind of work and uh, developed into a pretty solid job. part-time job. Yeah. And, and then a couple of years ago, then I kind of, you know, I started teaching at University of San Francisco and I was like, I got other stuff to do. And they're like, that's okay. We'll find, we have other people. And then they kind of brought me back on a few years ago and said, we still want you to do stuff for us. And then the podcast started. Uh, about two years ago, and uh, they just thought I knew how to do podcasts because I'm relatively young. They're like, "You're a young person, you know podcasts." I was like, "Not really. I don't know how to do interviews and stuff. That's like a skill. I don't." I so they're like, "Yeah, you'll figure it out." And so I've been doing that for a couple of years, and it's a lot of fun. It's a great excuse. Yeah. I mean, as you know, with with this podcast, it's a great excuse to just talk to interesting people and yeah. have fun conversations. And uh, so, yeah, great, great people. And, uh, we have a, like a team meeting every, uh, know, about six weeks or something. So yeah, exactly. lots of zoom calls with them regularly and yeah, really inspiring people. And they just retired from teaching. So, uh, they're going to focus a little bit more on the kind of work with the forum. And it's a fantastic organization. We work with like the United nations environment program. It's, you know, it has a far reach. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And the reach is is amazing as well. But
0: yeah. I guess the connection to Yale, because they were teaching at Yale already. So this is why they created the forum there. How did that come? It about? actually
1: started at Harvard um, with that conference series. I was mentioning the book series on the world religions and ecology was based on all these conferences they did uh, at Harvard. Okay. And so Harvard has the center for the study of world's religions. And uh, that launched, that was like the mid nineties. And then in uh, around 2000, Eight or nine, they moved to Yale. So yeah, when I started there, it was the uh, Forum on Religion and Ecology at Harvard. Okay. And then uh, then they started teaching at Yale, offering a joint position between the environmental studies, the Forestry and Environmental Studies Program and uh, the uh, Divinity School. So they were between both. So they had this really unique degree where you would take classes that are straight up environmental science, environmental studies, and straight religious studies, and you'd learn to combine them. So yeah, Yeah, really cool degree program. And it's still, that's still going. Uh, They're just not heading it up anymore. Okay.
0: Yeah, because I mean, well, because Thomas Berry, if I understand most of his career was spent at Fordham University.
1: Right. Yeah, he was at Fordham. Okay. Because I wasn't too sure how
0: or where, because I mean, I know of Thomas Berry. The people actually that exposed me to, that were influenced by Thomas Berry in terms of his new cosmology, but I got much more interested in terms of Gregory Baum's own theology in terms of he fell into the the frankfurt school type stuff and Mm -hmm. theology yet he was very inspired by the new cosmology that was being advocated obviously by by thomas berry and de chardin as well in terms of that school of thinking and stuff like that Um, but i did i wasn't because now that i think back i was like well how did this thing up at yale get started so i was wondering you know in terms of because i'm assuming his archives are still up at fordham or they move now to
1: i think so yeah i think that's where it's at okay um and that's where you know uh there was also a center that he had called like the riverdale center that was kind of his own thing and people would meet just to study this kind of stuff okay so there's all kinds of people out there who are like oh yeah i studied the thomas back then and, they're all still friends. Like you can tell something deep impacted them because it's a really okay. tight-knit group of people. Not unlike the community at uh, at CIS, where it's like, well, if you're a handful of people who are really diving deep into this stuff, you kind of become lifelong friends. Yeah. Even if you generally don't like each other. It's like, yeah, but we still have these interests. <laughs> and so it's still so important to be in dialogue. And uh, yeah. yeah, really special group. And I didn't know really about uh, Barry's work until uh studying with Mary Evelyn and John and, and Brian Swim. And it was like, who's this guy? And it's yeah. and it's uh like deceptively simple. He uses normal words and there's there's no big map the way there is with Wilbur. And so at first I was like, ah, there's not enough to chew on here for me. I don't, you know, this might be relevant to people who are getting introduced to stuff, but and then the more I got into it, I was like, oh, this is really deep. Yeah. And especially that he's able to put it in such simple language. Yeah. And uh, so every word really matters, even though they're not like technical terms, not using a lot of jargon. Uh, but yeah, you can tell that he's studied deeply for a long time before writing some of these texts. These aren't like texts from a young guy, like no. uh, the, the great work is a good example or the universe story. Like these, this is somebody who's been thinking about this for his whole life in a very deep way. So yeah, the more I've gotten into it, the more I've appreciated it and and using it as a teacher, even more so. Like, oh, yeah, he knew what he was yeah. doing. But
0: he's just as big as Houston Smith in a certain way, in terms of the study of comparative religion. I mean, he's a giant. I mean, yeah. his what he's studied. I mean, in terms of, I mean, his specialization in terms of East Asia. I mean, his, the scholarship that he's personally done there is so inspiring for somebody in religious studies that that saw that you know that where he was coming from and that kind of of. uh of research and scholarship, and just deep appreciation of all the great religious traditions out there. I mean, he was a, a towering; he still is a towering finger. So it's so cool to see his work being carried forward there as well. And like you said, I mean, he's had so much uh, influence on other institutions: C.I.I.S., Harvard, Yale, in Montreal. I mean, we have the Thomas More Institute,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: which has a deep sort of uh, of Catholic community. That's uh, that has it's it's, an, it's it's a small liberal arts college that's associated with Concordia University and McGill, hmm. um, and usually they're ex students from either from Concordia or McGill that keep on going there for ongoing continuing education and and, and learning. So um, and that's actually where uh, Bernard Lon- uh, Lonergan actually went out and gave some of his foundational sort of. <laughs> uh lectures in terms of his you know theology and stuff like that that actually came out of that he he was teaching there so he's had a major impact on some people there so Gregory Baum Bernard Lonergan was there and I mean the influence of Thomas Berry on so many people that I know around that particular small college liberal arts college is so prevalent and still very strong here in Montreal so that's the impact that he's had and stuff like that nice um And I, so, because uh, I I feel, or at times I I, I wasn't too sure. Now you're at uh, a Jesuit university. I think it's one of the longest. I think it is the oldest Jesuit institute on the west coast, isn't it?
1: That's a good question. I don't know Loyola, Loyola Marymount in L.A. might be older, but yeah, we're definitely one of the oldest for sure. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was wondering in terms of your interest in terms of Catholicism, because my, when I was re- reading or taking a look at some of your stuff, I'm like, Oh, he he's, he's a Catholic, you know, like this is what he was picking up on. And this is why he's so interested in uh, Thomas Berry and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm reading into it or was reading into it, but that was, I would have never guessed the psychedelic type stuff. I
1: was like, no, he's just a Catholic. Psychedelic Catholicism, essentially. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was raised Catholic still, you know, consider myself Catholic. It's just complicated because of a a broader commitment to world's religions and things beyond Catholicism. Yeah. Um, But yeah deeply uh, religious as a kid for some like when i was like eight years old people were like what do you want to be when you grow up you know classic question for a kid and i would say the pope no way and uh <laughs> my parents were like all right that's kind of strange and like good <laughs> good luck kid they're like you know they don't normally pick americans that's not a normal option for pope uh because we're very weird here it's such a protestant country like you can't really american catholics aren't aren't where the church is is heading but you know good luck (laughs) okay that's hilarious (laughs) so yeah it meant uh meant a whole bunch to me and uh and then it was like high school that I started like learning other ways of of thinking getting into even like atheistic kind of existentialist stuff you know Schopenhauer Mm -hmm. and Nietzsche uh reading like Lao Tzu Zhuangzi you know getting into Taoism uh Buddhism and stuff and I was like wait a second there's other things and so uh really ever since then i've tried to be more catholic i guess in a lower c sense you know really universal right yeah and uh and so yeah somebody like thomas berry is one of these people i was like oh this he's doing he's really able to think across east and west and indigenous traditions and taking in, into account current scientific developments and really just holding it all in a very capacious uh kind of way but yeah always attracted to catholic thinkers and even you know like people like Heidegger, very Catholic. Yeah. He was aiming for the priesthood and then t- took a more like turn toward kind of a paganism yeah. uh, through poets like Holderlin. And so, yeah, I was super attracted to Heidegger not knowing that he was Catholic. And then later, like, oh, of course. <laughs> and, or even thinker like Donna Haraway, great feminist science studies scholar, and love it. And then find out, oh, of course, she's Catholic. I didn't but even know that. She's a Catholic wow. who's, who's like, well, Uh, but you can't she's like you can't really be catholic in the right wing united states you have to be critical of the way that catholic conservatism is messing with people and geez, that's you know truer today than when she said that like 10 years ago or something but uh so she's you know a role model for me as to how to handle being very critical of the church while also knowing you can't stop being catholic if you were raised catholic Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, certain things. And for uh, for her and, and for me too, one of those is sacramental consciousness. Mm. The, that weird idea that the bread is the body of Christ. Yeah. That the material thing is this semiotic thing as well. That mm. it does signify uh, this deeper reality. And so then things like, material and semiotic or natural and cultural those implode and uh i I remember like students i grew up around a lot of protestants who would always tell me that i'm not a real christian (laughs) and not a real american because apparently my (laughs) allegiance to the pope in rome is i'm not american and i'm going to hell and i was like no you're wrong and so we'd like argue about what communion meant. Wow. And that was one of those things where I was like, no, but the bread is the body. They're like, nah, it's just a symbol. I was like, but the symbol is in the material. It's it's one reality. And of course, Protestants don't think that. They're not into transubstantiation. No, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, that's stamped on me. And so, like, I see the world that way. So I can stop going to church. I can you know, renounce my faith, whatever. It's like, yeah, but you're still, you still see the world like a Catholic. Yeah. And wow. uh, so, yeah, Haraway is one of those people like that. And So once I learned that, I was like, oh, of course. Now it all makes sense. The way she's like, nature and culture can't be separated. I'm like, because you're Catholic. <laughs> but yeah, it's deep. And uh, so it's great teaching at a Jesuit university where I can kind of let that out and tell students, you know, you're at a Catholic university. So I get to say Catholic stuff to you.
0: No way. That's cool. No, no. Yeah. I mean, that was like, I, I was mm-hmm. in the impression kind of coming into this chat that I was like, well, one,
1: how did this Catholic end up at C.I.I.S.? <laughs> There's a lot of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm not alone. Uh, Sean Kelly, uh, you know, who uh, was my doctoral advisor and, uh, and obviously did that, uh, the book, the variety of integral with him. Uh, he also Catholic. Really? Yeah. So a lot of us. And Canadian as yeah. well, if I understand correctly. Yeah, too, yeah right? that's right. Okay. French Canadian too. Is he? Uh, how, would, how, how do you tell how French somebody, I mean, I I'd say so. I, I think his French sounds uh, Canadian enough to call him French Canadian. Okay. Um, so yeah, another another Catholic. And, there's and Brian well. Swim? Brian Swim? I, you know, I don't know because like, well, we have a few Episcopalians, <laughs> and sometimes that throws me off. Uh, yeah, you know? I mean, that's they're so yeah. similar, and they're not. It's not Protestant, so you go, okay, close enough. Um, and yet now, <laughs> even Episcopalians
0: can go and call themselves Catholic because of Pope right. Benedict. Yeah, in terms of what uh, the changes he's brought in, which is an interesting twist.
1: It is, yeah. It's like, well, you know, we're we're closer to the same side than those reformers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, for, I, I forget where uh, where Brian is in it. Um, also, like Jake Sherman, who's chairing the program, I believe he is Episcopalian as well. Uh, so yeah, it's you know, it's a thing. If you're, if you're really trying to live up to the promise of the Christian faith and you're living in a globalized world, it makes yeah. sense that you're going to have to take the integral challenge of really embracing all the Absolutely. different perspectives on the planet. Yeah. And so, like, the most Christian thing to do is to not be restricted to your Christianity.
0: Yeah. No, and I mean,
1: this is what happened
0: to me. Like, when I showed up at Concordia and I was like, well, you know, you need to study this guy, Ken Wilber. My professor is like, who's this? And he, well, he created this integral theory. And he was like, well, what? He studied Jacques Maritain. And I'm like, what? He's like, okay. Jacques Maritain. I'm like, well, I'm like, what about him? Like integral humanism? Is that what you're talking about? Like Jacques Maritain's theology? And I was like, I don't think so. He's a Buddhist. And he looked at me and he was like all confused. So we just <laughs> kind of looked at each other. And at that point I was like, okay, well, what is he talking about? Jacques Maritain. And then at that point I ran off to the library <laughs> and started to dig up. Uh, because I mean, I'm from Montreal, but I come from a family that's been deeply scarred by the Catholic Church in in Montreal. I mean, our relationship as French Canadians or or as Quebecois, we can go out and say here in Quebec, is is so tense, uh in terms of you know, and all the way up to the the 1960s in terms of the Quiet Revolution. I mean, the Church literally ran our schools, they ran our social services and hospitals and and everything else. So that that revolution that happened over the course of that, like my parents are of that generation. Um, but it was only afterwards, once I went to uh, uh, an English university and got exposed to some of these other Catholic thinkers and uh, ironically English Catholic thinkers, a lot more like I was able to go it in a, I wouldn't say heal my face because I was protected from it, from my parents. Like I grew up with Alan Watts. Like my parents went off the deep end, (laughs) they turned into this like beat type, whatever. So that's what I grew up with. And then, you know, like I grew up with as a sort of a nightstand Buddhist as you can go, we say in religious studies. Right. Uh, Although I've gone on Sishin and I even studied in terms of Zen, like my first Zen teacher is a Alan uh, uh, Albert Lowe here in Montreal And he was a direct student of uh, Philip Kaplow. So he, you know, eventually left the States and came up here and set up shop. So he runs the Montreal Zen Center.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Um, And thanks to him as well. He was very open, you know, and I said, like, you know, like, but like this Zen thing somewhat doesn't make sense to me, man. You know, and he looked at me at that point and he was like, well, he's like, just keep coming back and we can talk about other stuff as well. But he said, you know, and I looked at him, I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a baptized Catholic. And he says, that's fantastic. He <laughs> said to me, and I was like, how is that fantastic? Well, he's like, you know, he says, what's wrong with the Catholic faith? So he was very open to me to explore that. And he gave me eventually like Meister Eckhart and some other people to go out and read. So. I mean, I was transformed through that in various ways. And, and yet it's confusing as well to go and being like, we're, you know, we're part of the Zen tradition and yet here we are passing around books within Catholicism and stuff like that. And my conversation with Jeremy and with Matt as well, and I'm happy I'm having this conversation with you is, I mean, cause CIIS is this weird
1: place. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That, that this melding of, of east and west in, in a in a beautiful way where people get to go and explore all these these uh, these topics that we're talking about um and I'm happy to hear that you know there's some deep Catholic roots within there as well that are kind of you know batting the ball back and forth and having deep conversations around that um but I guess what I'm trying to, to get at is my conversation with Jeremy because he's a Catholic too, and we were talking about, like, where is the Catholic left today, mm. right? I mean, the, you know, religion in a certain way is being co-opted, particularly Christianity by the right, And yet, like we're talking about Catholicism has a deep intellectual tradition, philosophical tradition and theological tradition. And there is this tension on the left and right uh, that is very much at play <laughs> in our culture, even today. Uh, So my question to you is that when you published this book, you published this in 2017 Mm -hmm. and Pope Francis had just dropped Laudato Si. And how did that change things for you? Or were you even thinking about that when you were putting this book together?
1: Yeah, when people were initially writing the chapters for that book, it was before Pope Francis wrote that encyclical. Yeah, Laudato Si came out in twenty fifteen, and I think most people had their chapters in by like twenty fourteen. So we were like, "Oh, well, this this changes things." That's a yeah. very that's a very prominent religious leader. I mean, there's a billion <laughs> Catholics in the world. Uh, it's a very large denomination, and so um, we definitely took note and uh you mentioned it like, well, yeah. just took
0: note man. you guys the whole introduction
1: yeah
0: is built on it and you guys are drawing on so I, I like i was like floored and excited to go and read that but i mean it's more than just you know you guys kind of tapered it in at the end you guys really thought yeah. about it in a certain way
1: well yeah because it, it turned out that Pope Francis was saying exactly the kind of stuff we were saying. He was drawing on the same thinkers yeah. and, uh, and not citing them. And so he doesn't cite Thomas Berry cause that would kind of be a controversial citation and even more so, right. Pope Francis kind of identifies integral ecology as listening to the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor. That's like right there really early on in, in the text. And all of us, you know, having studied, you know, integral ecology, we know that there's this liberation theologian, Leonardo Boff, mm. uh, from Brazil, and that he has a book called Cry the Earth, Cry the Poor. That's not just like a quote from Boff. It's a book title. And Pope Francis doesn't cite it. He doesn't put it in quotes. He just he basically plagiarizes the term because you can't mention liberation theology and Catholicism without making a lot of waves. Yeah, Exactly. And so we were just like, oh, my God, he's saying this stuff. We were already writing about Leonardo Boff. We already saw, because he uh, published some stuff on integral ecology back in the mid-90s. Yeah. So uh, Boff's work was one of the first people to actually use the phrase in print. Okay. And, uh, and then Thomas Berry was using the term integral ecology among friends and uh, colleagues and stuff, but not publishing a lot about it. But so that's, you know, we were aware of the the Berry-Boff integral ecology thing. And then here's Pope Francis 20 years later, uh, basically using all of their language. And so we're like, this is really kind of validating what we're saying. Uh, and and yet, we have a way to also think about this without being committed to Catholicism. Because yeah. there are ways to be integral if you're not a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so trying to open it up. And of course, that's his point as well, right? Laudato Si, you know, Pope Francis is saying this isn't just addressed to Catholics. Normally an encyclical isn't really even for all Catholics. It's really just for people who are in official positions. And this one is for everybody. It's for all humans on the planet uh, because we have a planetary problem. This one's for all of us. Yeah. And so we felt like, well, that's our message too. Um, so yeah, it's really been quite a blessing. And then that, that I've been in a weird situation ever since where now, when I say integral ecology, people don't think Wilbur, they exactly. don't think they are like, Oh, you mean like Pope Francis? I was like, well, all right, yeah, we can work <laughs> with it. And, in that way but then but of course for some people that just raises eyebrows because they're like oh no Catholicism and all yep. the terrible things the church uh has done and still does so yeah complicated legacy uh but yeah so then for for a lot of people they think of me as like the Pope Francis guy I'm like oh wow. yeah happy to happy to do that I like Francis of Assisi and uh I'm, i teach at a university named after Saint Francis so I mean you know that's it's everywhere And yet I also am aware of the way that the Franciscans in particular responsible for native genocide throughout California. And, you know, and it's, it's a terrible legacy. It's so hard to to support the church while also being critical of the church. And it's, it's so complicated. I think Pope Francis is doing a fantastic job. Um, He's, he's done a good job of trying to show some sense of apology for native genocide and obviously the residential schools in Canada and things like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a hard time to be, uh, to be Catholic. And now with geez, the repealing of, uh, of Roe v. Wade and so many American conservative Catholics are very excited to take away yeah. women's rights, tough time. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird that, you know, at a time when I was kind of trying to basically put my Catholicism away when mm. francis kind of says something and then really pulled me back in so in a way where i have to be a spokesperson for the faith in a way where i was trying to i just do philosophy <laughs> i'm just trying to do environmental ethics here and i'll deal with christian <laughs> stuff buddhist stuff indigenous stuff whatever but i'm not a spokesperson for the faith and now people are like hey what's pope francis think about this i'm like oh, okay no not he's not he yeah. but yeah, yeah. you know first uh he's the first latin american pope and he's signaling an uh allegiance to liberation theology yeah that's where catholic leftism is right now the catholic left is in the global south yeah absolutely uh, so i throw a lot of uh a lot of attention that direction because you know north america it's so right-wing and for you know a variety of reasons in the global south because people are poorer yeah. and that's you know that's where jesus is going to show up if you believe at all in the message of jesus jesus is going to show up in the face of the poor Exactly, and people who are really experiencing that are going to have a better sense of how to how to realize it so i think you know there's a strong catholic case for communism and people like uh like boff are, are doing it especially i don't know also liberation uh feminist theologians i think Yvonne gabara is a good example or even like elizabeth johnson uh you know North American writer um but a good example is somebody who's doing liberation theology doing feminist theology and uh, really opening up possibilities for those kinds of transformations yes yeah. so I think or uh women's ordination conference is another good example talk to these women who are like working on getting women ordained okay. and a lot of them are right there's a whole secret network of women priests that find bishops <laughs> who will ordain them and then they're out there running liturgy and doing stuff and uh i have have a picture here uh of one father ann uh and uh, my wife is really into feminist theology and just met father ann recently and she realizes she's being ironic (laughs) by calling herself father uh but uh though we talk to these women they're not right wing yeah so like, if you know
0: well it's (laughs) an interesting twist because i mean this is what i was talking about with uh because Michael Brooks and my connection with Jeremy and stuff like that, we're talking about the left and we're we're always like lamenting the fact that the left just not want to go out and embrace religion or is not willing to have the religious discussion for various reasons. I mean, whether it be Buddhism or but Michael Brooks was always willing to go out and do that. I mean, he had Cornell West on his show. I mean, he he was, you know, he would openly go out and talk about his his impact, well his time in meditation type retreats and how that, you know, transformed his whole sort of way of being and and how that influences politics and stuff like that. So Jeremy and I were like, uh, you know, like, why, why, what can we do up on the left to go out and revive? And I said to him, I said, you know, at one point, as well, I mean, if we need to go out and revive anything, it's the Catholic left. I mean, people like Dorothy Day and, uh, I mean, some of these others, you know, radical left-wing thinkers that, you know, completely embrace this idea of of, of, of liberation theology to, to a certain way. And even then, I mean, they're playing a dicey game, right? I mean, they were always able to go out and play that knife's edge in terms of how they would go out and massage it into the culture and stuff like that, Um but I mean, th- th- that's why I was so like reading your text. I mean, Boff and even Barry, I mean, are, were pushed out of the Catholic fold in various ways at various points in times. And Thea de Chardin as well. <clears throat>
1: right. Yeah, Was Thierry's never really, a mixed legacy.
0: Yeah, well, until now, and even with Pope Francis. So, I mean, when Pope Francis lands in the US and all of a sudden he's talking about Dorothy Day and Thomas Merton, which were all these, you know, left-wing Catholics, that we're very interested in uh, interfaith dialogue and interreligious dialogue uh, yet never really losing your religious roots in a particular way. I mean, they're legends yet. We're not talking about them.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, not, not nearly enough anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, this is why
0: I was excited to talk to you, you know, like to have this conversation because I mean, you guys are, are not only reviving or keeping that dimension alive through your network i mean through now through the yale uh you know a forum on religion and ecology but uh i mean everything else that you guys are doing on top of wilbur stuff which is (laughs) even weirder in the mix right because for me this is the the conversation that i've been wanting to go and have with people that were attracted to uh uh Jacques Maritain's sort of integral humanism. So I was like, you know, well, yeah, well, why am I drawing in this stuff from the East? Not that I'm against it in terms of Sri Aurobindo, in terms of integral yoga and integral philosophy, like what are the roots within the Western tradition that we can go and talk to people about because they feel somewhat alienated even from their European roots in a certain way. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I was so always impressed with Matt in terms of Matt Siegel, in terms of his work, in terms of Whitehead, and how he's <laughs> camouflaging <laughs> uh, some of this integral lingo in the background. And so is Jeremy with, by talking about Gene Gepser. And now with you, with this stuff in terms of integral ecology, like this is like, to me, it's wild and exciting that, you know, all these things are happening all at the same time within the culture. Um, and uh, I, you know, I've been wanting to go and make sense of some of these connections. Uh, so it's so nice to, to connect with you on some of those points. Um, but I guess the, uh, the other thing too, that you, you bring in not only your, I mean, the varieties of integral or the varieties of integral ecologies that you do talk about in all in your work, you're talking about cosmopolitics, man. Uh, so you're weaving in the political mm-hmm. um, in a really deep way, man. Um, <laughs> So how and why did that start to ha to come up for you? When did that, the, the need to go and t- start talking about cosmopolitics?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I think, I think it was really, you know, reading Donna Haraway um, that I first learned about uh, Isabel Stanger's work in a deep way. I knew her name. She showed up in people who are doing science studies kind of work, philosophy of science. And uh, Bruno Latour would refer to her, but um, it was Haraway who was kind of using the term cosmopolitics in a way that resonated with me in her book *When Species Meet*, um, which I think is back in two thousand seven, and which is all about this idea of companion species and thinking of the way that to be a human at all is to be a multi-species event, right? Whether you're talking about like the bacteria in our like gut, the bacteria that live in the crook of your elbow, right? We have bacteria in us and around us. Plus, we're made up by our relationships with uh, the species that we eat mm. and the, um, the the friends that we have. And, of course, there's a lot of research saying that humans co-evolved with dogs, right? We weren't quite human and they were still wolves. And in our interactions, we turned each other into humans and dogs. And uh, so that's why I started to really think that you really can't think about politics without thinking about like multi-species kinship and uh, without thinking about the larger cosmos you know cosmopolitanism is a very different idea going back to like ancient greece people like Democritus say i'm a citizen of the world right mm-hmm. cosmopolitan but it really wasn't about the cosmos that much and uh, for people like isabel stangers donna Haraway, bruno tour when they're using this term cosmopolitics they're really talking about uh, putting uh the cosmos back into politics and putting politics back into cosmology yeah, uh, you can't talk about science without already being political, you're already involved with negotiations, and uh, dealing with multiple interests and contested parties. And so it's always politics. So uh, it's another good example, of that kind of implosion of, uh, of the bread and the body, the material and the symbol, nature and culture. <laughs> it's also yeah. cosmos and politics and uh, so yeah not happy to do that when i first got involved with like studying philosophy in like college i never liked political stuff i was like "Ah, i just want to be mystic and transcend and whatever okay and then the more you get it you're like no we live here on earth and we're gonna have to figure this out yeah and so i've gotten increasingly involved in, in thinking uh politically and and it's such a massive challenge like ever since i don't know the neolithic uh we started to really background our relationship to the natural world and politics was an exclusively human affair and nature is just background and so you know we have to undo a solid like 10,000 years of bad habits mm-hmm. uh to remember what it means to really live in a polis like if you have a city that city is going to have non-humans in it and if you're not dealing with that dot 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 mass extinction And so this couldn't be a a more urgent problem and to have, uh, you know, massive institutions just not addressing it is such a huge failure. So to me, you know, it's clearly the the work of the time is, you know, what post-humanists are into, I guess, like there's gotta be some way to reintegrate the, the non-human, the more than human. And uh, I feel like, especially like eco-feminist kind of thinkers like Donna Haraway are very good at that. And, you know there's sort sor- sources in the tradition like somebody like whitehead like you mentioned that's a great example and yet it's like a hundred almost a hundred years since whitehead's process in reality and it's mm. like it's not getting the work done and we have to uh where, where are the process philosophers who are like organizing their communities yeah. i don't see a lot of that in the way that i do with like feminists they're at least out there organizing liberation theologians likewise they're out there organizing so we need to get involved with that more and so, you know, to my end, what that means locally is trying to connect with small farmers and trying to connect uh, farmers, you know, who are producing using regenerative agriculture, sequestering carbon, building soil, trying to get them connected with one another and connected to more consumers. Yeah. I was just hanging out with a farmer like last week and I was like, what can I do with my stupid PhD? <laughs> like, how can I help? He's like, well, you can do this and this and this and you know maybe do some grant writing for us so we can get some more funding and so we can offer this cheaper and so it doesn't have to be only for rich people. So Uh many really great small farms doing great work have really expensive prices because it's expensive to do it. And they're not getting the kind of subsidies that terrible farms are getting they are using, you know, industrial scale agriculture. They get all kinds of money from the government. It's like how can we get money for regenerative projects? Like, okay, I'll need to get to work on that. So <laughs> cosmopolitics, very big, but at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's very much about place-based uh, thinking, place-based acting. So I know, you know, people well, talk about it like cosmopolitan originalism.
0: Well, because Michael Brooks came up in his last book, he was talking about cosmopolitan socialism. And I'm with you on the cosmopolitan problem. To talk about cosmopolitanism today is a brutal slug, man. Uh, and his willingness to go out and throw the socialism in there. I was like, dude, man, I mean, you're going to go out and trigger <laughs> and you're American. Like if he was talking about cosmos, cosmos, uh, you know, cosmopolitan socialism, and even in Canada, I would say you might get more of an, but it's like, I mean, bro, you're American. Like that's pretty avant-garde and willing to go out and push the envelope. <laughs> but when I came across your work, uh, I mean, I'm not. I mean, some of the other guys were trying to get me into Latour and actually the last interview I had with uh, Chris uh, Sator, he introduced me to Sean McGrath. And I mean, I'm totally enamored with his work right now. And even more so the fact that he's in cahoots with uh, Jason uh, Worth through the uh, Schelling society and stuff right. like that. So they're thinking very much along the same lines in terms of German idealism and nature, nature philosophy in a certain way. Right. And, yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, that's cool. And having read Chris's paper, I was like, yeah, man, I'm totally on board with you. And even uh, Sean's book in terms of thinking nature, I thought, you know, yeah, man, I'm, I'm in. But it's like, guys, it's like, and he's bringing in Pope Francis into the mix as well, Sean, in a, in a big, big way. So I was like, boom, like, like yeah, absolutely, you know. Um, but nature philosophy and German idealism is not something that I think we really go and take traction within the culture and what i love about you the the cosmopolitics that you're talking about it's it's a it's a a material politics an organic (laughs) material politics and i'm like that could speak to the left man that could work with our mark so-called marxist friends you know what i mean um and you know, I, I, lament. And I mean, the whole point of my pod in a certain way has been a big sort of lament around Michael Brooks, the fact that we lost such a legend there that was, you know, th- talking about so much, and he just had a massive audience. Um, and I mean, not only did he have a massive audience, I mean, he was able to go out and have regular conversations, but the, the philosophy that was behind his thinking in terms of his performance and his humor was so up there, you know what I mean? And, uh, so in a certain way, I mean, I'm, I want to keep that spirit alive. And <laughs> I think cosmo- I think you're on to something in terms of this cosmopolitics, which I don't hear Jason talking about. And I haven't heard Sean talk about it at all in terms of their work, in terms of that sort of framing. And I was wondering uh, maybe if you knew why. I mean, would you happen to know why? Yeah, I
1: think some of it's just... Uh just terminology, you know, one of Jason Wirth's recent books was on, uh, Gary Snyder and Dogen. Yeah. Of course, uh, you know, Gary Snyder, great, uh, poet and uh, bioregionalist. And so bioregionalism is not a common term for people doing like political philosophy, but you know, it's just basically like something like indigenous politics. The basic idea is what if, uh, you know, us, you know, contemporary, uh, humans could learn to re-inhabit our place in the way that we used to and yep. recover, you know, indigenous ways of, uh, of being and knowing. So he'll talk about that. He his um, he's got a book that he's working on, on anarchy. Oh, and, oh. uh, so yeah, there's just different ways of talking about it. I think one of the problems with cosmopolitics is it is very connected to Isabel Stanger's term. And so it's kind of restrictive, uh, cause she's really known for it. And then Haraway and Latour have elaborated on it, but it ends up being a problem that, is mostly about the philosophy of science in a certain way. Okay. And uh, so between that and the cosmopolitanism, likewise, it's like, well, it's kind of uh, vague. It's like, well, what kind of cosmopolitanism are you thinking? Like there'd be one like federal government for the whole planet kind of thing. Like, you know, maybe, maybe maybe not. What are we talking about? (laughs) So, you know, if you go back and you're like, well, it's a term Democratist used 2,500 years ago. Like that's not helping us. No. And so, uh, yeah. So I think that's probably why uh, Jason Worth isn't isn't using the term. Okay. But if you asked him, are you cosmopolitan? Yeah, of course, citizen of the world for sure. Yeah. But uh, but what particularly does that look like? And it's like, well, it's going to have to look like making amends and reparations with uh, the indigenous inhabitants of of the planet. And yeah. for us in North America, right? North America is known as Turtle Island. And so, uh, so yeah, the new book is called Turtle Island Anarchy. Really? uh okay. yeah so i know there's a whole conference you know uh jason worth is part of this organization the pacific association for the continental tradition pact okay and a great group of philosophers i've been hanging out with them for like a decade and super cool people and they're all very invested in making sure that the philosophical tradition is not just western yeah. but includes eastern perspectives and indigenous perspectives and the non-human world we're trying to put actual continents back into continental philosophy cool. and so uh for us in north america continental philosophy would mean philosophizing from our continent and so we need a kind of place-based politics in that sense so cosmos sure still in there uh but who's cosmos and from okay. where from where are we asking these questions and so we want people to kind of be grounded in their in their place uh, so in the sense, you could also call that ecological democracy. I like yeah. that. I'm still a f- fan of democracy. Okay. Go ahead and advocate for that. And in a way, what cosmopolitics would really want is for every different political position to strengthen itself as much as possible yeah. so that it's as grounded as like, you know, speaking as a Catholic. Of course, Catholics are conservative because we think that the answer to society's problems is in our tradition. So we want to conserve our tradition. Like cool, I'd like to see some some conservatives that are really conserving tradition.
0: Yeah. And
1: conserving tradition also means you're going to have to preserve the, the environment, uh, social and environmental context in which <laughs> that tradition exists. So it's going to have to care about community. Like yeah. cool. I I want to see I want to see socialists and and conservatives arguing from those deep principles and from those deep roots. And so, you know, really thriving ecological democracy can hold those perspectives. That's one of the things I've appreciated about integral politics in the Wilbur style. Yeah. So like, yeah, we can see the right and the left as having some good points. We want them to evolve so that we can have better debates, so that we can collaborate on more interesting policies. So we have a politics that's actually about coming up with things that make life better instead of a politics that's about winning and just trying to get your party to win. Uh, so I think that's you know ultimately what cosmopolitics would be, and that's what Turtle Island Anarchy would be. You're really just trying to let all these different perspectives mature and evolve as much as possible, yeah. And uh, and then we can then we can really move on with having a thriving community because there's yeah. no way that one political orientation has all the answers for all times, all places. And uh, but if we can have real uh, debates and real negotiations and interest of the common good. Then I think we can we can have a habitable planet. Right now, that's my utopian vision. It's just avoiding a mass extinction effect. Well, it's low exciting. bar for utopia these days.
0: <laughs> but even I mean, back to I mean, because this is the other thing too. Having read Sean's work now uh, as well, I mean, he he rips into Latour. Uh, and I'm not that familiar with it, but I, I had a good chuckle reading his work in terms of how he's ripping into them and stuff like that. And uh, and he rips into Zizek pretty hard too, which I can't, I can't stand him. <laughs> uh, and I mean, Wilbur is kind of a difficult sort of figure in a certain way, but yet there's a whole bunch of people that are swimming out there that are much more sort of integrally informed or interested in some form of integral philosophy uh, than people go out and realize. And I mean, Michael Brooks is a, classic case and points i mean i don't think he would go out and push zizek aside he would want to go out and bring him into the fold but how integral theory is not uh being sorry there's a bit of a noise <laughs> uh he hasn't been um accepted within the mainstream academia in a certain way mm, right. uh, which is good and bad in a certain way but um well i i don't know what to go what to go and make him in. I mean, even zizek in a certain way i mean how accepted is he within the academic fold in a certain way not that much better than than other people i mean he is a bit of a a charlatan in terms of playing the culture card and being able to go and, you know have one foot in academia and yet have another foot completely outside um
1: yeah that's true yeah you know? i think i think i think zizek's well respected for for people who are specifically looking at some of the problems he's dealing with um especially people who are like looking at the hegelian roots of marxism or how marxism isn't going to be achieved without psychoanalysis and that's kind of a basic point coming out of like the frankfurt school as well like well you're not going to have that kind of social change unless people work on their desires (laughs) and so we we do need you know, a kind of uh, a psychoanalytic complement to uh, to to the Marxist vision. So, I think in those respects, Zizek has done some good work. But yeah, the whole celebrity performance thing really does undermine kind of the seriousness of some of his stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I
0: mean, on that point. But I mean, what I find so cool with your work is, I mean, you're conversant with all of these these schools, and and you weave them all into one. And for my understanding as well, well, I mean. You were, and so is Jason, part of the uh, Dancing with Sophia anthology. You guys submitted some pieces in there, <clears throat> so that's the other thing too that I want to go out and talk to you about. Um, well, when I don't know how sh- how conversant Sean would be with integral theory or what his take would be mm-hmm. on it, but I mean, I you know, from my understanding, he's been really involved with some of the other uh, you know uh, continental sort of discussions like you're talking about there. Previously, So that could be an interesting uh, thing there. Um, so I guess, yeah, maybe we could just go and end on that, on th- that an- anthology in particular, because your, your contribution to that is fantastic. And that whole book as well. I mean, if I can go and push anybody towards two books out of our conversation is really your varieties of, uh, of ecologies. The text that you put out with Sean and Adam, and in that dancing with Sophia, the uh, integral philosophy on the verge. um, How did that? What's the bit of the backstory in terms of how that
1: anthology came about? Do you know, or yeah, I think it was. I mean, that you know, Sean Hargens is really a prolific guy, and uh, so yeah, I think it was just him kind of putting out a call. Like, hey, who's interested in integral philosophy? I was like, Oh, I'm that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm I'm into. Uh and so yeah, just wrote an abstract and he was like, Yeah, this sounds great. At that point I knew Sean, so it was kind of easy to get in. So so even if the abstract was a bit of a mess, he's like, All right, close enough. So yeah, I'm not sure what what kind of feedback he had. That was years ago. I forgot what I even wrote for that. Oh, I don't even remember the title of it. I mean
0: Well, I mean the the well, one piece that really stuck out for me in that particular anthology was how integral theory is, it was um, uh, tied into uh, American pragmatism. Right. Uh, And I think that's a pretty good description for a lot of people I feel that are allergic to (laughs) integral philosophy or Ken Wilber's thoughts. People tend to go and associate them with the new age. And yet I feel that if you're conversing at all with American pragmatism that, I mean, I think you should pick them up because he falls into that philosophical school in a very deep way, in a certain way, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because of his interests. Well, obviously, with uh, James uh, Mark Baldwin, uh, the American psychologist, most people don't go out and focus on. We always go out and focus in, on the William James. Right.
1: But the other thing, too, is P- Pierce or Pierce. It's Pierce purse purse thank you yeah it's, it's such a strange <laughs> pronunciation. it's not intuitive at all
0: it's purse yeah exactly
1: yeah. uh because i mean if
0: he unpacks i find person in, in a understandable way mm-hmm. i mean i've tried to go and pick up and i'm just like oh god like i can't it's not easy yeah exactly yeah. you know so uh So that anthology, I feel like it really kind of pushed the envelope as well in terms of integral philosophy as a possible new school along with critical theory. I mean, if people are really knee deep into critical theory and want to go and see like pragmatism and dialogue with uh, integral philosophy, I mean, I'd love to, 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 well, I'd love, I just, I just love the fact that you and Adam are very, uh, philosophically adept, you know, and you guys are going out there almost like philosophical warriors, <laughs> uh, willing to go into the end mat as well, like go into like you know uh, deep conversations around guys like Whitehead or uh, you know some of the you know you pick up quite a bit I find in your work in terms of the deconstructing turn in terms of Derrida's work in terms of mm-hmm. uh, some of the stuff that you've written about. Uh, in a beautiful way, just as well as Wilbur. I think, you know, don't go out and just kind of like Peterson throw this to the wayside and this is all garbage in terms of deconstruction. So, um, and Adam as well. I mean, the stuff that I see him pushing out through social media and some of the stuff that he's been doing through the sidebar as well, he's willing to go out and have some tough conversations with a lot of people.
1: Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, very, very cross-disciplinary as well. And uh, so, yeah, not stuck within philosophy, being able to talk about you know, art and architecture yeah. and, uh, and history and getting into the social sciences. Uh, so yeah, very smart people. Always inspired by, uh, by Adam and, and Matt, for, for that matter. Uh, super, super smart guys. Yeah. And, yeah, and helpful for me, because there's certain questions where I'm like, oh, I don't know, but Matt would. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're, they're helpful people to have around. Because there's just so much, there's so much work to be done. And uh, with the very simple pragmatic thing of negotiating mo- with multiple perspectives. Yeah. We got a lot out there. We got problems to solve. And we need to have some really open uh, and honest dialogue to make it happen. And so it's good to, to have kind of a team of people who can you can refer people to. Same with Jason Wirth and some of the people at uh, PACT. That's, you know, there's a really, it's inspiring to see. Because if, if we've ever needed a whole lot of people doing this, it's right now. Yeah. And you think, you know, people like Arabindo or Gebser, Whitehead, there's a handful of people throughout the 20th century. 21st century, it's a different story. We're really seeing the emergence of a whole new wave of, uh, of thinkers working on this. It's becoming, uh, it's starting to become strange for people to be locked into one discipline and one perspective. The yeah. new norm is tending toward integral.
0: Absolutely, yeah, no, and and the pole, the polarization stuff as well. I mean, you beautifully just kind of riffed on it before as well. I mean, not to be scared of conservative thought and philosophy, along with you know going knee deep in terms of the the left wing philosophical tradition as well. Um, and I'm finding people just you know falling into one or two camps there. Very you know, the, it seems to be polarizing around that in the culture as well. Mm-hmm and what i love about you know having conversations with people that are integrally informed is that i mean they're, they're they they want to go out and bring everybody in and have a discussion a deep discussion about you know how how does this all hang together how does this all fit together uh and it it needs to because if it doesn't then we're just, there's going to be so much suffering in the world i mean this is you know
1: for sure yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why the the integral kind of challenge of for consciousness is very much a pragmatic problem. This isn't one of those things where it's like, ah, we'll get there eventually. It, it might take a few t- tries. And you know, it's like, no, we need to do this now. Like the future life on Earth is at stake. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the, it's, it's a new level of urgency that the human species has really never gone through before. We've always had second chances and third chances. Yeah. I'm like, not, not this time. And so that means we can't, uh, we can't push people around. We're going to have to talk to people where they're at. Absolutely. And so if somebody's conservative, you're like, all right, we're going to have to talk to you where you're at. We don't have time to wait for some kind of conversion. (laughs) You you know, here's, here's where you're at. Well, here's where I'm at. Do you like to breathe air? I also like to breathe air. I think we can work this out together. Absolutely.
0: No, for sure. And I mean, it's been so inspiring to see all of your work. I mean, like you said, I mean, you guys really are a new generation uh, and I'm happy to see that, that this new generation is, is getting, uh, I mean, it's digging it. It's, it's building institutional roots as well. Yeah. You know, the fact the work that you've done with the Yale forum on religion and, you know, the fact that you're, you're up at CIAS and you're up at the, uh, the the, the faculty that you are now now in terms of in San Francisco and in terms of that particular university. I mean, I'm just so happy to see that you guys are getting you know able to go out and set up shop within uh, universities and colleges and uh, doing some stuff online as well. but that institutional roots within higher education uh, is so important, I think uh, you know for the next generation to come up and see that there is some healthy things going on in our universities. It's not yeah. all, it's not all bad. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, that was really kind of a bit of the upshot too, with my conversation with Chris and with Matt, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, that people are just shitting all over our universities, like somehow they're, they're completely decrepit institutions that need to go and be burnt down to the ground <laughs> yeah. uh, instead of going out and <laughs> having, uh, salvaging some sort of stuff or just maybe just focusing on the institutions and individuals that are doing really cool work within them. So hopefully, yeah. uh, you know this conversation that we had today, and some of the, uh, you know, the other conversations I might have along the way, will go out and help move that forward. But uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, and I hope to to circle back around because as I'm digging through some of your other work right now, or <laughs> uh, diving diving into your work more deeply, some more questions are certainly pop up for me. And I'd love to, to circle back around again, to have a conversation or maybe a more in-depth conversation around cosmopolitics, uh, because I'm just not that well-read on the subject. Um, Sure. Sure. So at some point maybe I could have you back on to do do a bit more of a deep dive on that.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but
0: But for now, I mean, I appreciate your time. I thank you so much for, uh, for all the work that you do. And, uh, I'll definitely be in touch.
1: So thanks for coming out on the pod, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Excellent.